Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Our first session is devoted to the address of His Holiness Pope Francis at the symposium last year. He gave the longest address to date of his papacy on the question of the priesthood. It's enormously rich. It seems to us that it deserves much more attention than it has received to date. And so this morning we will hear first from Archbishop Timothy Brolio. Archbishop Brolio, as many of you know, is presently the president of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. He is the Archbishop for Military Services here in the United States. Uh, he was named to that post in November of 2007 and was installed in January of 2008. Prior to that, he had served in the diplomatic service, uh, having been Apostolic Nuncio to the Dominican Republic uh, and Apostolic Delegate to Puerto Rico. He was ordained to the, priest to, uh, to the um, Episcopacy by St. John Paul II in March of 2001. In his uh, academic background, of course, he has a Bachelor of Arts in Classics from Boston College, an STB in Theology, and a Doctorate in Canon Law from the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome, and he will be speaking to us today on faith and the priesthood today. Please welcome Archbishop Brillio. Thank you very much. Father Leg for that introdu introduction and for not choking on all of those Jesuit institutions. <laughs> Your Eminence, Archbishop Pierre, my brother bishops, priests, seminarians, religious, dear sisters and brothers all. It is a pleasure to be here with Cardinal Wallet, with whom I was ordained a bishop 22 years ago at the same ceremony. You know, it is said that the ring we receive at Episcopal ordination is analogous to a wedding ring. Cardinal has now had three brides. I've only had two. <laughs> I regret that my schedule only allows me to spend a bit of time with you this morning. I would love to learn from the other speakers, but at last I have several commitments today and just returned last night from the international military pilgrimage at Lourdes. I was reflecting on that this morning about the wonders of the priesthood. On Sunday, I presided at the closing mass of that pilgrimage in the Basilica of Pius St. Pius X before about 11,000 pilgrims. And this morning, I noticed that the vigilite in our main chapel was out. When I went to replace it, I discovered that someone had left all of the burned-out matches in the ashtray, and there was no match to light the vigilite, so I had to find a book of matches as well. And I thought, the priesthood really is marvelous. You can go from celebrating in a basilica to looking for a match. <laughs> Allow me to congratulate the institutions uh, who have sponsored this conference. I have been asked to comment, as you just heard, on the address of Pope Francis at a symposium on vocations sponsored by the Holy See last year. His message is extremely interesting because he tells us, first of all, that it is experiential. 
And so it reflects his years as a Jesuit priest in Argentina, with a few years as a student priest in Germany, an auxiliary and Archbishop of Buenos Aires, and now for more than 10 years as the Bishop of Rome. Certainly the experience of priesthood is different for each priest, and it is tempered by the type of ministry to which he is assigned, how the church has determined to use his talents, and the situations that present themselves. The Pope does not tell us what were his hopes and expectations as he began that ministry more than 50 years ago. I would imagine that like most of the gray-haired priests here, including the one speaking to you, he had one idea, and the Lord, speaking through various others, had another. After spending 46 years on four continents, at least the way we count on this side of the Atlantic, I can assure you that one fundamental aspect of sacerdotal ministry is the ability to respond affirmatively to what the church asks of you. Pope Francis cites the sacred scriptures, a few documents of the Second Vatican Council, and several of his own messages and exhortations, along with citations of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. The document is powerful and should be read by every priest and seminarian. Despite the nature of the institution sponsoring our gathering, it is not a particularly theological document, but a very practical one all the same. It does seem to lack a strong notion of the priest acting as alter Christus in the sacraments, but a relatively short treatise on the priesthood is unable to address all of the dimensions of ministry. He speaks with a heart for those in difficulty and offers them a path to a fuller participation in the mystery of Christ and his call and vocation. He offers some general observations and then focuses on four aspects or elements to which the priest must be close if he will effectively minister to his flock. His first point is that all priestly ministry must reflect the flavor of the gospel. Either we are ministers of the gospel or we are not. Just recently, he told Archbishop Laurie, Fathers Fuller and Hartman and me, that the synodal process must reflect the gospel and our ability to listen to it. The document, or the speech, makes mention of the value of pain in transformation, tensions, complexities, and the ambiguities of the present time. How much value does our society place on pain? I'm not suggesting masochism here, but are we not masters in avoiding pain and failing to see any value in it at all? He has a very interesting statement about the importance of staying with the present reality. He notes that the wolf runs either backward to embrace the past 
or forward to invent something new. Consequently, dis, and I quote here, discerning the will of God means learning to view realities with the Lord's own eyes. It means not evading the realities that our people are experiencing or anxiously seeking a quick and quiet exit provided by the ideology of the moment or prefabricated answers. He reminded me here of one of the reflections of the late Pope Benedict XVI on the priesthood that I like very much. And I quote, It means watching over from above, seeing from the lofty position of God. It means thinking, seeing, and acting from his exalted vantage point. It means starting from Christ in order to be available to, the hum to human beings so that they find life. We must, therefore, put out into the deep. He stresses the importance of our baptismal vocation. He does not quote him, but we can imagine the great dialogue that took place once between St. Paul VI and Jean Guiton, when the former is trying to express his ability, inability to thank Almighty God for such a great gift. And Guiton imagines that he's speaking about the pontificate, the papacy. Or then when he gets a negative response to that, he suggests that perhaps he's speaking about the greatness of the call to the priesthood. But no, it is his rebirth in the waters of baptism that was the greatest gift of divine favor for which he finds difficulty in adequately expressing thanks. Pope Francis says, when we fall into functionalism or pastoral organizations, if this becomes the only thing, that does not attract at all. Instead, when the priest or the community has a baptismal fervor, this attracts new vocations. The primary vocation is baptism. The bulk of the address speaks about what Pope Francis calls God's style. And he says that must be the priests. And he defines it in closeness, compassion, and tenderness. And then he makes reference to the second letter of St. Paul to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. For this reason, I remind you to stir into flame the gift of God that you have through the imposition of my hands. For God did not give you a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power, love, and self-control. His closeness, therefore, must be to God, to his bishop, to other priests, and especially to his people. Now let us take a moment and look at these four recipients of the priest's attention, and we come to the heart of the discourse. Closeness, closeness to Almighty God demands that a priest cultivates intimacy with him. He reminds us that many crises in the priesthood 
find their origin in a poor prayer life, a lack of intimacy with the Lord, a reduction of the spiritual life into mere religious practice. A priest, on the other hand, must cultivate little acts of union with the Lord. And he says, a priest must have a heart sufficiently enlarged to expand and embrace the pain of the people entrusted to his care, while at the same time, like a sentinel, being able to proclaim the dawning of God's grace revealed in that very pain. The talk reflects at length about the importance of that closeness to Almighty God and the ability of the priest, like St. John the Baptist, to decrease so that the Lord might increase. The second closeness is to the bishop. He speaks here of communion and the role of the bishop as father. He touches on that ever delicate topic of obedience. Obedience, he says, is not a disciplinary attribute, but the deepest sign of the bonds uniting us in communion. To obey, in this case, obeying the bishop, means to learn how to listen, to remember that no one owns God's will, which must be understood only through discernment. Needless to add, we could organize an entire conference on discernment in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. Certainly in my own experience, that St. Ignatius has provided a good measure of help with his sushipe. You know, that great prayer that begins, take Lord, receive, and ends, give me only your love, which is enough for me. Pope Francis adds, obedience is the fundamental decision to accept what is asked of us and to do so as a concrete sign of that universal sacrament of salvation, which is the church. Obedience can also be discussion, attentive listening, and in some cases, tension, but not a rupture. I can tell you from the experience of these last 15 years as the archbishop of an archdiocese, even though I have no incarnated priests, the role of father is delicate. I look for occasions to listen to the priests who serve the people entrusted to me. But often I am brought in only when something needs to be fixed. That is not so easy and is complicated by the distances that are inherent in the reality entrusted to my pastoral care. So often what one of the other bishops here would do face to face I have to do with an email or a phone call, never very positive. The document moves to closeness to other priests to stress the importance of fraternity. Paul's ode to charity in the 13th chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians 
is the model for this fraternity. There is a drama, there is a drama of solitude and indifference, which becomes even more of a challenge as the number of priests shrinks. I am still in fire, inspired by the photo of a smiling Cardinal Hickey, my former seminary rector and the bishop who called me to major orders for the Diocese of Cleveland. He inscribed it, once my priest, always my brother. A simple but eloquent statement, both about the relationship between bishop and priest and sacerdotal fraternity. The Pope warns of the problem of envy among priests and suggests the cultivation of fraternal love exercised in the gymnasium of the spirit. Citing Pastores Dabo Vobis number 23, he says that fraternal love for priests cannot be restricted to a small group, but finds expression in pastoral charity which inspires us to live that love concretely as mission. Finally, in reference to celibacy, the discourse is eloquent, but perhaps too brief. And I quote, I would also add that when priestly fraternity, closeness among priests thrives and bonds of true friendship exist, it likewise becomes possible to experience with greater serenity, the life of celibacy. Celibacy is a gift that the Latin church preserves, yet it is a gift that to be lived as a means of sanctification calls for healthy relationships, relationships of true esteem and true goodness that are deeply rooted in Christ. Without friends and without prayer, Celibacy can become an unbearable burden and a counter witness to the very beauty of the priesthood. The end of the citation. Here, one might expect some expression about the eschatological service rendered through the charism of celibacy, the concept that life is a pilgrimage to the fullness of everlasting life, one of the reasons for the charism of celibacy, according to Jesus Christ, is so different from the hearts and minds of our brothers and sisters in contemporary society. That struck me profoundly as I read the conclusions of the North American pre-continental pre-synod document. Finally, Pope Francis stresses closeness to the people of God and cites Lumen Gentium numbers 8 and 12. This particular relationship is a force for evangelization and a source of strength and joy. Priestly identity, he says, cannot be understood without this belonging to the holy, faithful people of God. He tells us to touch their wounds and to be a part of their lives. Certainly, when I look back on so many years of ministry, it is the people who come readily to mind from the widow of the first man I anointed as he died in a hospital, to the couple coping with the birth of a child with Down syndrome, or those experiencing challenges in their marriage, or trying to convince a teenager about the value of the gift of the fullness of the Holy Spirit 
or listening to two very active Catholic men in Africa who would not commit to marriage because the commitment was too important not to keep. The list goes on, and it's certainly longer for priests here with many years of experience in day-to-day direct ministry in a parish setting. Pope Francis urges us to imitate the style of the Lord Jesus, closeness, compassion, and tenderness, because in our connected world, many lack a feeling of belonging. He warns of the danger of clericalism, which he calls a distortion, a sign of which is rigidity. He observes that there is a danger of clericalizing the laity. Citing Evangelii Gaudium number 273, he said, we have to regard ourselves as sealed, even branded by this mission of bringing light, blessing, blessing, enlivening, raising up, healing, and freeing. He concluded his remarks with a dramatic invitation. The Lord shows priests the signposts that point the way to appreciating and rekindling their missionary zeal, closeness that is compassionate and tender, closeness to God, to the bishop, to brother priests, and to the people entrusted to their care, a closeness in the style of God himself, who is ever close to us with compassion and tender love. There would be much more to say about priesthood, And from the program, I can see that many other aspects of priestly life and mission are on the agenda. I would be remiss, however, if I did not close with a word of gratitude to the Lord who called me to eternal life in the waters of baptism through the will of my dear dear late parents and to the priesthood and has sustained me to the church that has confirmed, nourished, and determined how the call would be lived, and to the faithful who continue with that formation. Even today, I'm in touch with families from my first assignment. I count the privilege to serve them as the greatest source of strength. Thank you. We have a few minutes of questions for Excellency, and we've got some Dominicans uh, with microphones. So if you raise your hand, I will call on you and we'll send a microphone to you. Yes, ma'am. Hi, Archbishop. Um, I'm Sarah Perla from the Catholic Project. And as I think most of you know, we did a survey recently which found that while bishops do think that they are being fathers to their priests, the priests responded that they did not feel that way. And I wondered if you would address how the bishops can do better about that. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think there's two things in that, uh, uh, that survey. And I, I think one of the things it brought out was that most priests do feel a good relationship with their bishop, but in general. And I think part of that is, is due also to uh, you know, some of the constrictions that are placed on us by, um, by the Dallas Charter and... Uh, sometimes by the relationship that we have to, to nourish uh, with our priests. But I think um, certainly one of the things that perhaps needs to be done is uh, more association between uh, priests and, and bishops. 
um, not only on the diocesan level, but perhaps on a larger level as well. And that's that perhaps might help ease that that perception. Um, and you know, more than that, I, I don't I wouldn't know what to say. It may be a little early in the morning to get a lot of questions going. I'm sure the discussion will heat up as we move on. Oh, yes, Bishop, please. Uh, Bishop Mark Brennan from Wheatling Charleston Diocese in West Virginia. Had the pleasure of uh, knowing uh, the Archbishop in the seminary. You're a couple years behind me, uh, but uh, you've done well. Okay. Uh, I, I would say in a recent, huh? <laughs> a recent convocation of the priests of my diocese, uh, it was even visually evident that uh, they were people, groups of priests sitting together, you know, some who style themselves very much as traditionalists, others very much as progressives. But there was right in front of me, there's one group over here, another group over here. And that, of course, is a problem, I think, in building priestly fraternity. I keep emphasizing that, gentlemen, we've got, despite particular tendencies, we've got to be all within the basic Catholic unity, understanding of our priesthood and of our Catholic faith. Uh, and that everyone needs to have some progressive bones in his, his body as a priest. Every priest needs to have traditionalist impulses, also piety, worship, all those things, right? We, we, we blend all of those together, and then we be, we'll find ourselves more, I think, as truly as brothers in the Lord. But we do need uh, one another. And I appreciate your emphasizing uh, the Pope's words about that. Thank you. And I think that's very important, Bishop Brennan. I noticed that too recently. Well, not recently. A few years ago, I preached a retreat in a diocese that will remain anonymous. And uh, I remember noting that in the, the retreat was silent, so there was, there was no chance to. And of course, I knew, I'm probably giving it away now, but I knew the priests of the diocese fairly well. And I realized that when we finally broke the silence the last evening and there was a social, um, there was a group over here, and there was a group over there, and you know the, the twain never met. In fact, they even came to speak to me individually. I mean, it, it, one group or the other group, and you know, I think I think all of us have to work hard to uh, to overcome those kinds of tensions. I mean, it, it's it, we could be an example for our society because it's all right to disagree. Um, as long as we can, we can do that civilly and in a way that, you know, one of, the, one of the things that Pope Francis has stressed so much is the importance of listening, obviously listening to the Holy Spirit, but listening to one another. And so often, at least in civil society, people seem to be shouting so that there's no possibility at all of hearing the other person. And I think sometimes, even as, as groups of, of priests, uh, we should make an effort to hear what the other one is saying um, and, and, and try to internalize that. I think that would be, a, would be a very helpful development in trying to reduce this image of them and us. Father Morozovic. Thank you, Your Excellency. It's a wonderful talk. I have here a quote, and you picked up on a little bit, but I wanted to see if you could go a little bit um, further when... The Pope is talking, and he says, Yet Jesus wants us to touch human misery, to touch the suffering flesh of others. He hopes that we will stop looking for those personal communal niches which shelter us from the maelstrom of human misfortune and instead enter into the reality of other people's love. 
lives and know the power of tenderness. Could you talk a little bit about that? And especially when you were saying about, you know, how we choose to avoid pain, because I think that those are sort of connected and, and might provide some deep insights. I think they are very much connected because it, uh, suffering is not seen as, as a value. Um, and having just spent um, four days with wounded warriors in, in Lourdes um, and being confronted with people who, many of whom had physical ailments, you know, which are easy to see and perhaps easier to respond to, you also knew you were dealing with people, a number of people, especially in the military, who were dealing with psychological suffering, uh, with, you know, with trauma and in terms of what they experience. So they, they look, you know, when you look at them, they look perfectly, perfectly normal, but you have to, one of the, one of the most important things in that dimension is you have to be able to let them speak and to listen to them and to try, you're not going to solve their problems, um, but you are going to offer them you know, ways in which, which to deal with them, or perhaps ways to, to see that suffering in terms of our relationship with the passion of Christ. And that's a very difficult thing to do, and I think it is a dimension, unless I'm totally off base here, I think it is a dimension that our society wants to, you know, push behind a curtain or, or not talk about. Um, because you know we're not supposed to uh, we're not supposed to have any pain or any suffering, um, and I realize that there's a there's a line here between um, you know we don't seek suffering necessarily, but when it comes our way, how do we deal with it, and how do we help others to deal with it as well? Um, you know, when I was first ordained a priest, they told us if you take care of people. You know, when they're sick or, or, when they're, or when they're suffering a loss, they will, they will never forget you. Because those are moments concretely when, when people need that, that outreach, that touch uh, of the church, that touch of Jesus Christ through his church. Uh, and so if we're there then, I, I, think it, I think it does make a difference. But to be there, we have to recognize, we have to recognize that pain and, and, and be able to respond to it. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thomisticinstitute.org donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.